I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction, and we're super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. You can subscribe to us on any major listening directory by searching the AFT Construction Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. In fact, it's just around the corner from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products. They can turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your visions to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www dot subzero dash wolf dot com backslash showroom now this week on the podcast we have a few special guests with us we have our senior construction manager adam cade our project manager spencer nild uh project manager paul lundgren and also andrew clark and this is some of the core behind the scenes of aft and a lot of our listeners had reached out saying why don't you have any of the aft guys on why don't we understand a little bit more about their personality and what drives them you know, the behind the scenes of the culture and our processes. And so we had a collection of questions from you, the listeners, that they answered and we went around. And so you'll get a little bit more insight as far as us as a company and a brand and each of the talent that makes our company what it is today. So a big thanks to them for making time. And most of them, this is their first podcast. So this week on the podcast is a little unique. Typically in the past, we brought on some amazing guests, especially this last year in 2020. And for end of year and our holiday episode, we've been asked to bring on some of our key members here at the AFT construction company team. So with that said, we have Adam Cade here. Welcome, Adam. Hello. Andrew Clark. Hello. We have Spencer Neald. Hello. And Paul Lundgren. Hello. So we're excited to have these guys here, and we've had, we actually did an Instagram post we, you know, asking our followers to reach out with some questions just on the inner workings of AFT and just some construction questions in general. And we've also uh, you know, had people over the last year ask us you know, certain things that we wanted to answer on this podcast. So with that said, we're going to start with Adam. And the way we're going to do this, we kind of have a round robin to answer some of these questions from the listeners. So Adam, we're going to start with you. What makes a project successful? I think it all starts with communication in uh, working with customers, communicating uh, with them and helping to set expectations on a project as far as cost, quality, 
and uh, and schedule. I think it's also extremely important that all selections uh, have been finalized prior to starting construction. So we get asked about this a lot. A lot of people say, well, is it realistic to have selections done beforehand? What happens when you walk into the space and you look at it and you want to make changes? Or, you know, is there a certain time frame? So how realistic on your experience, Adam, is it to have all selections made up front? I think it's extremely uh, realistic. I think that uh, there can be some items that uh, adjust or change with the project, but it's extremely important to at least have uh, everything set up. If they're decided beforehand, you know, the, the designer can create a spec book, which allows us now to be more accurate, right? We can be more efficient. We can get better pricing because we're not, you know, we don't have questions lingering out there. It allows us to utilize Builder Trend, which we use for our software. So then everyone here in the field, they can manage that. And also we can build quicker because we've all had experience where when we talk about what makes a project successful, well, you mentioned schedule and budget and quality. These are all the things that customers get the most upset about. So if we are not finishing in time and these projects are lagging, well, they're going to get frustrated and get annoyed with us. And having those decisions up front will allow us to expedite that. Exactly. And just having that budget set for whatever the design is, the design, again, can change. But knowing that you have money earmarked for those items is extremely important. So there's no surprises financially for the Yeah, what buyer. Adam's alluding to, sometimes we do have full design books that are fully spec, but we may have a few allowance items. Maybe it's a fireplace surround detail, maybe bath accessories, you know, something that we can put a, a, an allowance and then make that decision later because that's not really going to affect the critical path of the schedule. Exactly. Well said. All right, Spencer. So with you, what makes, you know, we work with designers on all of our projects. That's kind of one of our things as a builder. And for any of you that have listened, you know, we're pretty adamant about that with our customer base. So what makes one designer better than the other? Well, I don't want to get the designers upset at me, <laughs> the ones that we work with, <clears throat> because I think the designers have a pretty difficult job because what they're trying to do is they're trying to meet the expectations of the owner for the things that they need in their house. They're also trying to put their own stamp on the house as far as their design. So they're trying to make it unique, but then they're also trying to work with what the architects already you know, envisioned as well. And then on top of that, they need to work with us as the builder to make uh, it constructible. And so if, if a designer has ability to manage all of those things, I think that that's really sets them apart. How, how difficult or how necessary is it for a designer? Because a lot of designers will ask, well, if we work with AFT, how available do we need to be for the builder? You know, how often do you utilize your designers throughout a build process? Um, <clears throat> that kind of goes in stages, but um, typically, like, there's weekly meetings more during the pre-construction efforts. Uh, but, you know, getting texts or phone calls daily almost, you know, that, <laughs> At the finish that side can happen sometimes. as well. But just having those coordination meetings. So now, you know, and speaking with design with Spencer on what a designer can do to be successful with the builder, let's move this to the architecture side, which is a key component. So, Paul, you know, you've been able to work on, some, you know, a lot of different architects already on different projects, mm. hillside and flat lots. So what, what separates a good architect from others? And I like the way that Spencer handled that pretty politically. <laughs> <laughs> to, not, to not upset <laughs> any not designers, right? Anybody. But, uh, um with an architect, the thing I've found as the plans, the architectural plans, the civils and the landscaping to make sure they all communicate 
communicate together so they're consistent so you're not uh, giving the civils to the guys that are doing the front end and having a different outcome when it comes to landscape and design at the end. And so how, how are we checking that? I know a lot of listeners will say, okay, that's fine. We know there's going to be some issues on the architecture and design side. So what are you guys doing in-house to help you know, accelerate or find some of the scope gaps that are, are between the civil drawings, you know, the landscape architect, and then the building plans themselves? Well, you've got to be in a constant state of studying your plans and knowing your plans. So, I mean, it's like reading a book. you got to keep reading it and uh, know what's going on. And, uh, and what's I think up? Adam can add to this. That's something that I handle quite a bit with the estimating and pre-construction is I'll review the plans and make sure that uh, they speak to each other, that uh, they don't contradict uh, from civil to structural to landscaping. And that's a big part of the correct estimating and bidding is making sure those plans uh, speak to each other. And what, what software, I mean, is there any software that we're using that we could talk about? Maybe I'll put this on Spencer because I know we're going to get into this later, but you know, what software are we using to help identify these, these items? Now we use uh, Bluebeam, which is like a, a PDF reader, but it you know, allows you to do a lot of different markups. You can do takeoffs on it. So it allows you to look at like uh, an original set of drawings. And if you have revised drawings, then you can do side-by-side -side comparisons or you can do overlays. Uh, for the estimating, you know, side of it, you can quickly do takeoffs, you know, like on square footage of pavers. And then if a new drawing comes out, you can see if there's a difference in that. So there's a lot of things that you can do with Bluebeam that make uh, just uh, reviewing drawings a lot easier. But also, in my opinion, one of the biggest benefits is just communicating what you're finding, doing those markups and sharing it with the team. So I like it because it's it's uh, not just highlighting on a set of plans that only sits on someone's desks. You can make uh, comments and markups and then share that with the whole team. I love that. And, and one thing that's interesting is, you know, we, we learn these processes over time, but, you know, going back to what makes a project successful, well, if, if we're fighting with the architect or the designer in front of the client or bad-mouthing them, that creates a lot of conflict. And so there's always going to be things that we overlook as the builder. The architect's going to miss things, the designer possibly. And so if we're communicating behind the scenes and have those open relationships, you know, that's the team, right? We can resolve probably 95% of issues before they get to the client, which is ideal. And Bluebeam's going to help because with the layers, as Spencer mentioned, you know, if you're utilizing Bluebeam, well, now you can find those inconsistencies Label them. And one thing I like that Spencer did, we have a project that's a new build, but there, there was an existing property, existing home that was uh, demolished and removed. And there was a question with the landscape architect and the architect himself on some of the trees that were on site and some other existing conditions. And through Bluebeam, Spencer was able to redline those. And so we have one working drawing that instead of us trying to scribble it by hand, you know, this is on a clean PDF. Anyone can look at it with notes, make that decision. You know, so now this turns to Andrew. So ideally to make a project successful, we have, you know, the builder, architect, and designer, right? That's that's the key to all of our projects. Now, notwithstanding, as much as we're trying to focus on the front end and get this ready, we're going to have clients that get upset or frustrated, um, maybe in our opinion are unrealistic, or maybe we've done things as a builder that have caused that breakdown of communication. So Andrew, how have you dealt, you know, with difficult clients? 
Well, I have had a few difficult clients in the past. Um, so <clears throat> typically what I try to do is just kind of put myself in their perspective, like put their, myself in their shoes. Um, basically, they're, everything is so close to the best for them. I mean, they've developed or they've involved, invested so much time, energy. They have a lot of stress, a lot of money involved in the whole situation. So us as a builder, it's easier for, easier for us to understand um, you know, kind of the different situations that have evolved to get to the point of where we're at. And typically a customer is going to be more upset towards the end when it's kind of the final project, they see progress happening and, and might see something that catches their eye that they're not a, a fan of, or, um, you know, things aren't moving as quickly as they would like. And you just kind of got to talk them through it, explain all the situations. Um, I just try to stay calm at all times. Um, I never, get heated or you know have a conversation with them that's going to lead to confrontation it's always calm cool collected you just got to stay even keel make sure that they understand that you're working on it if there's an issue that comes up that you don't quite have an answer on you make sure you get back to them but you know those always are those situations are always going to come up typically you know customers are very eager to get into their home but at the same time you want to make sure that the quality is where you want it to be especially with aft we got to make sure that the quality is super high and just kind of reiterate that to them that we're not going to leave this project, you know, however you feel upset about it, we're going to make sure that this is done properly and uh, kind of calm them down a little bit. So, and you have a good demeanor. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things and I don't want to take Adam's answer from him on this next question, but you know, when we look at hiring in the team, you know, how do you um, present yourself to the client? And I will say, and I'm not just saying that because they're here, you know, Adam, Andrew, Spencer, and Paul, they have this demeanor where they're very calm. And Andrew and I specifically have talked about this where he's had some tough clients to get, you know, raised voices and a little upset on certain things, which is typically, you know, there's communication, there's expectations that are always hard to convey perfectly on paper, you know, but that ability to just be calm, not retaliate, you know, not return fire, you know, there is a, a you know, that is a, a great way to work through some of those challenging customers. Towards the end, you know, there have expectations that are trying to be met, right? And so you just got to make sure you're ahead of that, right? So if you have a delay, say, you know, some materials not been delivered and in time, you know, say, hey, you know, this material is a week late, this is going to push our date back. And just make sure you're ahead of it instead of, you know, two weeks before they think they're going to move in. You know, you just got to make sure you're at least two months ahead, you know, just keeping your schedule updated and, and just making sure that they are aware of it because if they get hit with something blindside at the very end, it's going to be... And I love that you brought that up, the open communication, because what's one thing we say, I'm going to pick on Paul, I always tell him this. So what happens if a customer reaches out to you on the schedule? You shouldn't, you shouldn't be reactive. You should be ahead of the schedule. They shouldn't even be asking the question, no, right? shouldn't be asking the question. Yeah, and that's one thing that we've talked about, going back to Andrew, that if we, you know, a lot of times as project managers and superintendents, we may get the call that, hey, the drywall company isn't going to be there. And that's fine. We adjust our schedule. We pivot. We figure out what can be done, but we don't tell the client. And on some of these high pressure, maybe at the end of the schedule, you know, if we're not updating the client, then they're like, hey, where's my drywall guy? He said he'd be here. He's not here. And they feel they have to micromanage us. They feel they have to run the job. So if we stay in front of that and communicate, hey, they're not here. However, we got a game plan. We got this in line. We're going to have this figured out. You know, they it, it drops their guard where they have a little bit more trust and don't feel that they have to manage us through the process. So going back to that, we're going to turn this over to you, Adam. So um, what makes a superintendent good? You know, as we're looking at hiring, we'll get into that aspect later, the, the hiring side. But 
in your experience over the years, and for those of you that are listening, Adam trained me. So when <laughs> when I graduated from construction management at BYU and I moved to Phoenix, Adam trained me for the first year, right, wrong, and different. I think you did okay. I think you were amazing, and <laughs> yeah, I was right. a superior trainer. <laughs> he was a great trainer. So what makes a, a good superintendent? Well, besides the ability to communicate with your owners, it's more about working in the field with the trades and also my biggest thing is is being tenacious things just don't come easy uh, by mistake it's when there's a problem go solve the problem figure out a solution and then be tenacious keep working at it until the problem is solved don't just start it and then give up so I'm always telling the superintendents to be tenacious stay in there hang in there fight through it and uh, when you need to follow up on something, uh, follow up all the way until it is complete. Uh, and then one other item is knowing your plans and knowing your project. You don't want to be that superintendent where everybody comes up and asks you questions and you have a blank stare saying, uh, I don't know. So if you're going to be the man with the plan and on the job running it, know your plans, know what's happening know the schedule, know what's coming up, and uh, set up walks with your trades that are going to be coming into the project and work through any potential concerns. Being proactive instead of reactive uh, will help you be extremely successful. And I would agree. I think that's, that's a big ask. I know that Adam and I have been very adamant about that, knowing your plans and specs. But to put in perspective, some of the projects that these guys are working on, they have 150 sheets of architectural drawings. They have a three inch binder of design specs, but it is feasible. The more you dive into it and understand the design going in every room, you know, and how you're organizing that, it is doable to do that. You know, it's, it's processed. These are one, two year projects. And so that repetition. And another thing I know with Adam that he taught me is, you know, don't be told the same thing twice. I mean, when Adam would come out and inspect my projects as a super, I better have a pen and paper or my phone ready. You know, I see him driving up because, you know, I need to make sure my ducks are in a row that if I'm told something or if he catches something that I'm not seeing, that I'm taking care of that. And that's the biggest thing is, you know, and, and I'll give some kudos to Paul. We had an experience where in the past, you know, maybe we're communicating via email or via phone call or via text. And it's one of them. And we're not following up and they're not responding. But we had an issue with one of our trade partners where we had some some gaps and Paul's like, well, here's the text I sent. Here's the email I sent. Here's the phone call. And here's the printout I gave the guy on site. Like he covered all four bases. And so there really wasn't a way for them to say we didn't get that information because he was in front of that. And I think that's the key for anyone listening that's figuring out how to be a value to your company and, and your employer. Uh, you know, be diligent, be proactive, be tenacious. I, I agree. Now, Spencer, we're going to turn this over to you because we're, you know, and speaking of the team, superintendent, architect, designer, well, now let's speak about a subcontractor. You know, we're a true GC, so we're, we have trade partners all throughout the board. And you have unique experience because you've worked as a GC. You've worked eight years as a subcontractor, you know, trade partner. So what makes, you know, seeing both sides of this, what makes a trade partner valuable? <clears throat> well, I guess to answer the question is that they actually add value. So when, when you're a subcontractor, I think it's important to be part of the team you know don't necessarily just only think about fulfilling your contractual scope of work you know if you're on a big project 
you have to be a team player. You know, it's nice when subcontractors coordinate with each other and think about what trades are coming before them so they can communicate to them what their needs are so that they can be successful, but also uh, educating and teaching the trades that are coming after them on things that might be potential issues for them. So I think just kind of being a team player all around um, is what, you know, good su subcontractors uh, do well. And I love that you said that. I, I think it's very realistic to, to ask that of trade partners that, you know, that they're aware of everyone around them and not just their scope of work, which tends to happen, you know, but how could we as builders educate them a little bit more or maybe help them see the vision? Uh, well, it kind of goes back to culture and, you know, if, if we're having that same mindset with our subcontractors that we are, you know, that they're part of our team and that we want the projects to go a certain way and that AFT has, has a certain level of quality, we have a, you know, something that we're trying to provide to our customers that's above and beyond what other builders are doing. So as long as they understand that, uh, then they can be more successful when they're on our jobs. Super important because I think one of the biggest things is, you know, setting that expectation. I know Adam does a good job of this up front is when the subcontractor, subcontractor feels they can be profitable, they, hey, we want you to be profitable. We want you in and out. We want you mm -hmm. to fill your scope. We want to be ready, but you need to help us. You need to pick up your phone. You need to answer when I'm texting you. Like, let's keep this communication open because that'll allow all of us to get in and out, which will save us a lot of time and headache. You know, so Paul, you know, as we move on, how do you organize your day, your schedule, and most of all your punch list, especially because you have multiple projects? Right. When you're running multiple projects. So I, I typically, uh, visit every job every day, uh, in order of importance of who needs me first. Um, and then I go through the schedule. I push the schedule as far as making sure they're all on site, uh, have their tasks, what they're doing, um, reevaluating timing and when they're going to be completed. And then, uh, I take the rest of the day and I, uh, organize my schedule. I, I, uh, communicate my schedule to my trades and to the client if I need to. And then, um, so how do you get your punch list out? What, what are you using to get that information in information out? We all use different ways of doing that. Once we get to the job site, we either use a, a pad and pen. We go around and write down everything that we observe that we need to take care of. Uh, some people use a, a device where they voice make, text, make voice text or uh, virtual uh, notepads and take down notes. But um, my teacher, Adam, taught me to mm -hmm. when you enter a house that you kind of go from right to left where you enter and you kind of do the same kind of route every time. So you're consistently looking at each one of those those rooms or those places and all those punch items that you have. And then once I get back to the office, that's when I, I transcribe those onto a, an Excel, uh, Excel spreadsheet that we can all track. And that's all on the uh, OneDrive where we can all con or access it if we need somebody to step in for us. or Out of town on vacation. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, in correlation as far as in the field, in the office, you know, what's that breakdown for you? It's about 50-50. Half, half the day at, in the field and half the day in the office going through stuff. So now moving to Andrew, Andrew seems to be getting all the customer service side of things. <laughs> so 
you know, how often should a superintendent communicate with a client? And this will vary because, you know, one thing that's unique about our market is a lot of our clients are out of town, right? They don't live here. So we have second, a lot of second home clients. And then we also have primary residences where they're here all the time. So based on the experience, you've been a hybrid working with both. How often should you be in communication with them? Well, like you said, it varies. Um, typically, you know, I have a client right now that lives out of town. Uh, they visit occasionally, but um, I'd like to, I'd say that communication, you know, at the beginning of the project, you know, I, I, I send the, the, the homeowners about a video or two a week. Um, what I do is I walk through the entire project. I point out different areas of the house. You know, they're trying to get familiar with the project um, because they've never seen it on site. Um, so you're just kind of pointing out rooms, you know, when you're at, uh, you know, before you pour your slab, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, just doing that communication, just sending out videos, um, pictures. The videos are nice because they might see something easier than they would if it was just a picture of, you know, a few different areas. Uh, this way you can point out different things, explain to them what's happening next, what the process is that's being done at the moment. Um, and then also, you know, if you have a client in town, um, you know, typically they'll stop by, you know, most of the time clients will stop by, stop out, take a look at the job site, you walk through them. But, uh, if they aren't on site very often, then I would still say that one to two times a week, you know, just kind of updating them on the, the, the schedule, um, what's happening, what's happening the next day and, and so on and so forth. Um, and we do have that Builder Trend uh, app that we're using, um, Owner Portal, so you can upload images into there, uh, daily logs, so they can see that as well, um, see the process being made, what's happening, who's there, um, all that good stuff. So. And I love that you and Paul do that specifically. You'll go through and do videos, even for the clients that live here full time, you know, and, and Spencer's done that as well, you know, with the new one, You're Breaking Ground, where you guys are taking video narratives as you're walking through the home, here's what's happening, here's what's upcoming over the next two weeks fired off a little one minute video with you narr narrating so one thing that i used to do that was i thought really nice was as you walk through the house and something new is being installed and this is more for uh, owners that live out of state and i would create a group text with the designer maybe the architect and the owners and uh, i would just take a picture of what was being installed or something neat about the house and uh, send it off and it just kind of gets everybody excited you know, and everybody can comment about, oh, wow, that looks so great. And it just builds that emotional bank account with the customer that, wow, my house looks great. And everybody else thinks it looks great, too. Also, you know, towards the end of the projects, um, you know, homeowners are a lot more involved because it's getting down to the nitty gritty details of the interior, exterior portions. So that's when you start to communicate, you wrap up the communication, trying to get everything finished. There's a lot of times you need answers from either designer um, and like Adam said with the text, the combo text, that works great because you can send them a picture. Everybody gets to see it. Everybody knows the response, and it works out great. So, But like I said, ramping up towards the end, definitely. Yeah, and that helps helps you with uh, when they're watching those videos that they, they'll see something that you don't. They have a question, and they can fire that off to you as far as if you miss something or if they're seeing something, you're just not seeing it. So, Adam... You know, going back to you, uh, what does a normal day look like? What is what is your schedule comprised of? Well, I would say that uh, a normal day for me is managing the pre-construction and estimating for the company, uh, working through either sending out plans, coordinating uh, plans with architects, with engineers, with trades, uh, communicating with uh, the superintendents, 
uh, either working through schedules on projects with superintendents or going through scopes with them to make sure they understand the detailed scopes that could be missed uh, when just reviewing plans or designs and then uh, also doing uh, infield training uh, at least once a month we'll do an infield training uh, on a certain aspect of construction so pretty slow day for you mm. so it's pretty slow I don't <laughs> I sleep when I can you know <laughs> Adam does spend a lot of time at the office he's there pretty early and late you know so you know right now we have our field team out here but talk about the back end you know we have two coordinators Sue and Megan you know what what what's the value they're bringing to you you know behind the scenes on the front end especially so they help me in the estimating and uh, and writing scopes and uh, reviewing some of the uh, uh, bid abstracts, bid and abstracts purchasing and uh, so forth. So uh, they'll work with the trade or with the superintendents and coordinate with trades to make sure that we're getting checks cut uh, for deposits and working through details uh, such as you know. Uh, different cabinet hardware and uh, other design details uh, throughout the process. So, so let's talk about this. So for anyone listening, just so you understand our process at AFT, how we do things. So I, Brad, myself, I'm working on business development, you know, cultivating the relationship, working in pre-construction as far as the, the project lead. And let's just give a custom home. So we're, we're working, Adam and I are working on a budget. We'll, we'll set a preliminary budget with the client based on their design and do our best to work with the designer and architect to stay within budget through design. However, it's a budget, right? It's, it's temporary based on our database and project history. So, and these pre-construction processes take anywhere from six to 10 months typically, but now we're ready to submit for permits. So the architect submits for permit for the building set of plans, which takes about eight weeks and we have our design book. So talk about our process um, briefly from when that's handed to you and the coordinator to completion so once we receive the plans and uh, the specifications from the designer uh, myself and the coordinator will work together at reviewing those plans reviewing the designs uh, writing finding any kind of scope gaps uh, and then creating a scope that we can use and send out to the trades and make sure that all the trades are bidding the same scope and that they're getting all the inclusions that need to be uh, part of the project. And dealing with a lot of RFIs. Yes, constantly working through RFIs and uh, trying to understand fully what the intent of a detail or a design is for the project. And, and in defense of our architects and designers, going back to that, it's, you know, these are very complex builds. Some of our hillside, there's a lot of complicated elements to these and so it's easy to overlook or have things that don't go back and forth hence why spencer brought a blue beam right that's why he's blue beam to help capture that and so as, as adam mentioned they're going to spend about six weeks writing scope you know determining that sending it out getting the hard bids doing the bid abstracts you know making sure our price is exactly there that we don't have scope gaps or have everything accounted for come to an agreement we break ground and then at that point adam essentially checks out to a certain aspect. I mean, you're going to oversee production, but now it's going to be our superintendents and coordinators that are off to the races. Yes, and then we'll also be writing those subcontracts to the change or uh, to the trades. So now, Spencer, you know, you've been with us a year now, so what have you learned at AFT that you didn't learn somewhere else? 
Okay. <clears throat> well, there's probably two things that I could think of. One is that nobody has an Adam Cade. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> and so just Adam's uh, knowledge, his experience with, you know, many years of construction, building homes, and, you know, just the what he brings to the table, just, you know, his experience. And, you know, he's the ultimate trainer. Adam is just constantly training us, and he's always sharing you know like if there's a mistake on a job he's letting everybody on the team know hey look out for this and so so that's that's been fun to work with him again and just kind of get refreshed on on some of those things because i also was trained by adam you know in my early days and so it's just great to be back with him and just to kind of learn from him and so Spencer and I, we work side by side. So we both were at school together, which we'll get into, but we graduated about the same time. Adam was our boss and Spencer and I would have that same empty feeling when Adam would roll up in his golf cart. <laughs> uh, we worked doing production homes and he would come to our house and just tear it apart with about 50 things that we had to work on and it humble us. And, but it, it helped teach us for sure. Absolutely. My nickname was by the book Cade. <laughs> Nothing could get past me. And so I'm a little bit too detail oriented sometimes there's a little no cooth kate in there yeah. sometimes too yes. <laughs> that's true <laughs> so the next thing i guess is also there's no other brad levitt mm -mm. and uh so from from brad you know there's a lot of things that he does but just the social media aspect um just being in kind of more of the commercial world. I, I guess I wasn't really involved with like social media or following anybody really on social media, but uh, just seeing, you know, in the last year how, you know, what it's done for AFT and just the reach that Brad has, you know, nationally, probably even internationally, who knows, but just to see um, the clients that are coming to AFT wanting us to do work because of that through Instagram and LinkedIn and other avenues it's just really impressive to see how much that really uh, benefits our our brand and what Brad's uh, ultimately trying to build so Paul I guess turning that to you what made you apply to AFT and what drew you in that kind of goes right together because it is Brad's magnetic personality <laughs> <laughs> and uh, without getting into my story but I followed him on Instagram and uh I've always been in business for myself, but I saw Brad was going places, and it, as young as AFT is, it's growing so fast, and uh, I just couldn't deny the leadership that he's put into it, and uh, I just appreciate him, and I wanted to be a part of it. Well, talk about your story, I guess. This is important to understand, I guess, how you joined the team, because a lot of people have asked, you know, the question I get a lot is, Okay, Brad, we know AFT, but what's this AFT2 guy like? What, you know, how does that flow into the social media side? Well, we were, we were, we've both been following each other for quite a few years, and uh, we're both on the Protractor podcast, and you get to start to follow him and learn his personality and watch his integrity, and I, I one day wanted to move away from the cold, so I came to Arizona, and uh, I just – I uh, wanted to interview Brad and just find out what's going on down here and and see what he was doing and and he took me around and showed me his his operation and I just planted a seed in him and said if you're ever looking for a a project manager or a 
super or something, uh, give me a call because I'm wanting to get out of the cold. So I, that was a fast track. And a couple of months after that, he was calling me saying, hey, you're ready to go. And uh, <laughs> here we are. And here we are almost two years later. Yeah. So now, and then that's another thing, going back to Spencer mentioned social media and, you know, we talk about social media, just the branding, marketing, you know, I spent a lot of time on that, but one of the key things is the collaboration, right? You know, the building network with other builders and contractors and understand how their processes and billing and again, make communications, you know, people talk about, well, there's a shortage of labor. Well, we found Paul, you know, you find good people through social media. So with your side, Andrew, your story is pretty cool. So, you know, what is one skill set that you've learned or sharpened up? since you've been with AFT? Well, since I started knowing not a whole lot about construction, um, I'd say when I first started getting into the, into the heat of running some of the remodels, a lot of my mistakes were um, coordinating and scheduling. Um, and I think that was sort of a, a lack of confidence in knowing exactly what had to be done before when. But really, you know, one, one situation stands out to me is I, I wasn't ready for my tile guys. I had them show up. And, and then they're like, Hey, what are we supposed to do here? We're not ready. You don't have this, you don't have that. And, and that just kind of stuck with me because, um, I guess what I've gotten a lot better at is just coordinating in general. I mean, scheduling and coordinating, keeping everybody up to date whenever something comes up or, you know, um, something needs to be done this before this, before that it's all, um, everybody's on the same page and not, you know, not fumbling around and losing weeks and days and everything else. So that's the biggest thing I think I've other than the vast knowledge that I've learned from Adam and Brad and everybody that on the AFT team, but just in general of just communicating with the trades, having the confidence to just, you know, tell them, Hey, this is what's going to be done. This is what's, you know, what's not ready. You know, we need you this day, whatever it is. Um, and not losing days or weeks, um, by having those mistakes. Well, and this goes back to the conversation, you know, I Spencer, Spencer had mentioned on what makes a subcontractor good, but if we're not ready for him, as you mentioned, Andrew, you learn, that if we can have our projects scheduled accordingly and be prepared for the subs to come in, well, that's going to allow them to be successful and it doesn't destroy our credibility, right? If we're calling them all the time and we're not ready, they're going to get super annoyed and they're not going to service us. So that's why it's super important to make sure your ducks are in a row. Um, and that's the importance of teamwork and making sure that you're not a dictator when it comes to being a superintendent, but that you're a team player with the trades enlisting their help and helping them be successful will help you be successful. And that's one of the things I love about all of our project managers and superintendents is they're personable, they're fun to be around, and, uh, and they can be organized and have fun while working. And I think there's a lot of trades that really enjoy working with us and coming in and uh, working, making money, and enjoying their day. So one of the questions our listeners had, and this is one we get a lot. So, and, and I'll share some thoughts and you guys can jump in if you want. So this was a really good question by Mark. And he said, you know, a, a client that has a cost plus contract, they want to understand why if they choose a thousand dollar wall sconce, you know, as opposed to a hundred dollar wall sconce, why should they be paying the builder more money? Right. Uh, you know that why, because I'm picking something nicer, should their fee go up and, and, and my cost goes up? You know, it doesn't seem fair. And then also, um, it doesn't seem like the builder's motivated with the cost plus as a lump sum. And and this is a much longer conversation. We could do another YouTube or podcast on this. But, but specifically with this example, one thing that's really tough, and I'll just share the builder's perspective. 
it, it's a lot more difficult building a luxury home with high-end finishes. And the reason being is our exposure is so much higher. So you think about if you're insuring your vehicle, if I have a $20,000 Ford Focus, you know, or $200,000 luxury car, there's going to be a big difference because if anything happens to that luxury car, well, the service to fix that and maintain it is a lot higher than my Ford Focus, right? That anyone can service. And and you think about that in, in, in applications of a house in a kitchen. Well, yeah, if I put $6 a foot wood flooring and when the appliance guys come in and they scratch that floor, I can replace those $6 a square foot pieces pretty easily. But if you have gold flooring and now that's scratch, well, now my liability goes up. So my protection cabinet and floor protection goes up. And so, yes, in theory, you know, if you're looking at just the example of a wall sconce, um, it's easy to think, well, you know, why should I pay the difference without understanding that there's an insurance aspect to that, that you have to insure that property because it's more expensive. So if something goes wrong, you know, sometimes expensive fixtures, as we know, chandeliers could have a thousand crystals and it's going to take my electrician, you know, 16 hours to install that as opposed to a normal lampshade that may take them one hour. And so there is a cost to that. And that has to be covered um, because our exposure, if some of the stuff goes wrong, uh, goes the other way. And that's what puts us out of business. And so typically, you know, with a customer, a lump sum, it's, it's really mitigating risk. If you have a lump sum, the builder's taking the risk. So they're going to have markup in drywall, you know, in other aspects of the home price increases, they're taking that, but on a cost plus the client's taking that. So they have the exposure, they have the risk. So now, you know, moving on. So Adam, what is one mistake that you've made in your career that has been a big growing lesson for you? Well, I would say the biggest mistake I made was not double checking with my framer. And it was a very difficult thing to catch, but uh, he had the uh, trust company build the trusses off of a build set of plans instead of the city approved plans. And that house had the trusses constructed, installed, and instead of having my height cert done at strap and shear inspection. So why do you, what's a height cert? Explain for those listening that are familiar. So in different cities, you have a height requirement or height limit. Um, a height limit. You cannot go or exceed a certain height. And so in this uh, situation, I assumed that we were all good, that everything was built per the plans and specs. And instead of getting my height cert taken care of earlier in the schedule, I waited and had it done closer to my four-way inspection, which means I had HVAC, ductwork, electrical, and fire sprinklers were being wrapped up. And I found out I was about six inches too high, uh, and I had to remove the main ridge of the house and put new trusses in. So that meant I had to remove about uh, two or three air handlers, all of my fire sprinklers, all of my electrical can lights, everything in order to remove the roof and trusses and reinstall them. And this one was a little tricky because come to find out after doing the research, what you do to figure out how do we get to this spot, you know, the framer unbeknownst to us. So, so what's unique about our market in Phoenix is in other markets, you know, the builder is buying the lumber, they're buying the hardware, they're buying the trusses, and then they're hiring someone to do the labor. Phoenix is very different where you're hiring a firm, a full framing company, that's purchasing the lumber hardware trusses and doing the install. So it's one lump sum for that scope of work. Well, we sign the framer, he, you know, on his own, he goes to trust company. Oh, we got this project. And the trust company says, Oh, we have those plans. Although they had a previous bid set from a GC 
six months before that were about six revisions old. So they weren't even working off a permitted set. The framer wasn't working off the permitted set. They both made alterations and interpretations. They didn't call the architect. They didn't call Adam. So they're behind the scenes making changes, you know, to the entire house. And now here we are too high. Correct. So that was my experience. It was pretty embarrassing, but everybody in a certain subdivision knows Adam Cade very well. <laughs> Everyone said, why are you taking those trusses off? That was See, such a beautiful house. What are you doing yeah, remodeling it this early? Why are you going backwards? But it turned out great. The house turned out great. It's nationally published. It's a beautiful home. And you were able to do it at a high quality side committee there. So Andy did it ahead of schedule. <laughs> yeah. yeah, somehow you made up that time. I did. Which is impressive. Well, so well that's because you sent Andrew there to, to <laughs> clean up at the end anyways. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, Spencer, we've had a lot of <laughs> basketball players, and they know that we're – we love sports here at AFT. So have we played basketball together? And the question is, can Brad really play? <clears throat> yes. Yes, we've I've played basketball with Brad. Actually, that goes way back to our uh, BYU days. I played with uh, against Brad on a th- in a three-on-three tournament and was beat by his team. <laughs> and then after that, I... Uh, tried to recruit him to be on my team for the next uh, tournament, but he turned me down. <laughs> he, he's already too, in too, too much of a demand. But absolutely, Brad is a phenomenal athlete. He's an excellent basketball player. He is well-known in he still the uh, Power Ranch League, <laughs> which is a three-day-a-week, 5 a.m. crew of guys, anywhere from 10 to 25 guys, and somehow brad's team is always on the court winter stays but yeah he's a he's a great basketball player spencer's a great athlete i'll give him some props so we had a football team um you know we're a little older now so we've kind of taken a back seat because we don't want to get injured now that most of us are in our late 30s and 40. Um, but we had a football team adam and spencer were on that team and spencer had our game winning touchdown in our championship game you know flag football eight on eight so we played 13 years flag football. Yeah, multiple championships. Mm-hmm. And Brad was the quarterback. Was not You didn't play high school football, right? No. But, I mean, if he would have played on my high school team, we might actually won a game. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah, he's just a, he's a baller. And uh, I think what makes him a good baller is just uh, well, he's a good athlete, but he's also super smart. You know, like he's got – he already knows everybody's stats, you know, during the game. He knows the score. He knows – everything that's going on just kind of like at AFT. <laughs> that's right. And he's a great quarterback, but he had a wonderful Hall of Fame offensive line. I did. Adam Cade. All, all. That's right. He's our left tackle, the blind side. And Spencer at center. That's Spencer right. did play center. Spencer would like to go out for passes more than blocks sometimes, though. Yes. <laughs> so, Paul, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned working for AFT? Well, as far as uh, work goes, I think it's drive your schedule. Uh, you got to drive, drive, drive because there's always going to come a time where you're going to have delays and uh, just bumps in the road. So if you're always driving to get ahead of schedule, you can maintain a schedule. That's just what I've learned. And how has that, you know, how has that talent increased over the last two years? From when you first started, you know, even though you had a lot of background in construction, you know, working in the trades. You know, how has that focus changed and how have you become more adaptive to scheduling now in the last two years? Well, I mean, I was a tradesman and I, I ran my own business. So I was 
I was always knee deep in the actual details of building something, but I've never took the time to realize what the builder goes through to get things completed. And uh, I've learned to appreciate that. I mean, the first year I was here, I was kind of drowning, just drinking from a fire hose, but because I was learning a lot of front end stuff and stuff I had never really been a part of, but I had some good teachers and I think uh, it's caused me to be pretty successful and I don't know. I just you've done good. We put Paul on a couple hard ones, a couple hillside ones when he started our ICF house that finished, you know. So he has that in his back pocket, and after that, you can do anything now. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> so Andrew, you know, what's your main role at AFT, and how has that role expanded? Uh, my main role is a superintendent. Um, so I manage. You know, I've done quite a few remodels, and um, now I'm doing my first custom home from the ground up. Um, when I first, I mean, I think this is kind of a future question, um, but when I first started, you know, I was just kind of doing some grunt work and, and just learning from you guys. Um, but really, um, how it has expanded, I would say the biggest thing is um, I've, I've, I study the designs quite a bit when we're at the frame stage or, you know, when the layout even happens before then. But it, I find it really important to study all the designs, design drawings, because then you can you make sure everything is hit before you even get drywall up. So I mean, as far as sharpening, you know, my skills, I guess, or advancing, you know, I didn't at the beginning. I wasn't really dealing with the design drawings. I was more just kind of doing and, and doing what I, whatever I needed to do. Um, but that's kind of well. There's value there. It's interesting because when you talk to designers, we always say that the design book takes precedence over everything. Yes, we understand that the structure of the home is the most important thing we're focusing on, right? The excavation, retaining walls, and site work, and the house itself. But when you're thinking about laying out electrical or plumbing or mechanical, some of these things, I mean, if you don't understand the backsplashes and countertop heights and, you know, the trim work going in, these will all affect those. And so you have to work from the, you know, the end of the schedule to the beginning. You have to understand all those finishes. One thing I'd like to say is, Andrew really does have a great strength when it comes to the details. And I've commented on that multiple times with Andrew. And because he's ahead of the game and he's studying these details, he'll call me and say, hey, Adam, want to bounce this idea off of you. You know, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that. And, you know, which trade do you think really needs to be in here first? Or he comes to me and says, this is what I think is going to happen. Is this what how you would do this? And uh, maybe, Andrew, you could share a little example of, like, your fireplace at the house you're working on and the layers of detail just quickly uh, of how you figured that out and, and what goes first. Yeah, so um, we have a fireplace that has quite a few elements, a uh, few design elements to it. Um, so we have a, f a fireplace in the family room, and there's stone, there's countertop material, there's steel, and then there's built-ins on either side of it. Um, so basically... I kind of work myself backwards from how this is going to look, right? So you, not only do you have to look at the design, but you have to figure out exactly what the material is that's being used. So in this situation, what I had to do is I, there's a hearth that is built out of countertop material, and that wraps below the fireplace. And there's also steel. There's steel bands up high, and there's also steel that wraps the countertop material. And there's stone that goes on there as well. And now that stone is very uneven. It's, you know, jagged. So in this situation, I don't want to have my stone installed and then the steel tries to go on top of it and it's got all these gaps and funky groove, like waves to it. 
So what I had to do is get the counter or the block in for the back or the, for the CMU for the countertop material, get that templated installed, and then have the the two um, built-ins on either side of the fireplace installed. So then I could have my steel templated. That way he had accurate measurements, you know, because his steel wraps into the crown molding of that those built-ins. And then I'd have him build those out. So it surrounds the fireplace, build it out two inches or build it out an inch so that the, the tile can return into the steel. So there's a process, you know, you got to figure out exactly how it goes. You know, it's kind of a domino effect what comes before that the next part so well and that's key because now you're not reworking and going backwards and tearing stuff out you know if you understand your plan specs well now you understand all the elements and players involved and you can now coordinate at a strategic level so it looks great the first time yeah exactly and it saves a lot of time and and money and headache you know if i tried to install my tile and wasn't thinking about it and then oh crap we got to take this tile out cut the tile back whatever the case may be this just makes it easier on everyone um so so adam how has your mindset changed over the years at aft so I think with AFT and with construction in general for the 20-something years I've been doing it, I started off as a struggling uh, you know, father-husband trying to make a living, and it was more about uh, what I could make you know, and how I could improve so I could provide for my family better. Uh, but then I think, it, especially with AFT construction, it changed from thinking like an employee and became more like thinking of an owner and then also thinking as the company as a family and uh how do i explain that feeling but it's more of how can i Community help others family. instead of looking out for myself and uh the relationships that i have with all of the employees at uh, aft construction uh, is more of a family relationship and I'm so proud of everybody I work with and the successes that we all share and the fun that we have and uh, AFT is the very best place I've ever worked at and I look forward to coming into work every day because it is like a family and if I'm on vacation I actually miss my work family because I have so much fun and we go to lunches together and we do things uh, after work together. Uh, but that, that would be my biggest uh, point is uh, just the family of feeling and teamwork and ownership when it comes to working with uh, AFT Construction. Well, we appreciate that. That flip of mentality is huge, right, for us to be successful as a company. So, Spencer, in addition to the mindset, right, where you're thinking more as an owner in lieu of an employee, you know, Spencer, you know, it's a skill set behind us. So what are some of the skill sets that you brought to AFT when we hired you a year ago? <clears throat> well, um, I mean, prior to my, you know, eight years doing, uh, you know, commercial construction as a structural steel subcontractor, um, you know, I had done a lot of, uh, you know, residential work before that. But I think just the, um, the, uh, kind of like the perspective of doing commercial construction for a while and then coming back to residential, you know, is, um, it's interesting just to see just how, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but there's just a whole different feel to it. It just feels a lot less litigious, you know, like everything's not just about contracts and things like that. You know, it's, it's more about relationships. You're dealing directly with your owners versus just some owner that you never meet. Um, 
but skill set wise uh i think that i was able to learn a lot for scheduling you know pull plan meetings is one of the things that uh, i think that kind of introduced that's used a lot in commercial world especially when you're dealing with you know multi-story hospitals or you know large just large structures complicated structures uh, blue beam is another one just that technology uh, builder trend which we already use but just kind of getting more into builder trend and just trying to utilize that better uh, I think that's it's huge well I'll say with pool plan that's that's you know blue beam has been amazing as well Spencer but pool plan is something that revolutionized I think the way we're doing this especially this hillside complicated builds it's really accelerated the schedule and that's been super valuable and we've we've had a lot of other content on that with Spencer and then our team you know doing these pool plans which are great and and before I forget I have to give a thanks to John Merritt so John is a good friend of ours through social media, very supportive from DC. And he actually came up with 90% of these questions. Like he's been super active on these. And so one of the other ones he had uh, for Paul, he said, what's one thing people don't know about Brad that still surprises you? He's the real deal. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I coming to work for AFT, I'm like, is he really, is he as really as integrity, full of integrity and, the person that you guys see on IG, his stories, his podcast, and the fact is that he is. He's the real deal, and I couldn't have made a better choice to come work for Brad. And uh, I'm just honored to be a part of the family. But, you know, one of the practical things that you might not know is Brad's size of his shoe collection and sock <laughs> collection is is something to talk about. That's I mean, impressive. Yeah. <laughs> It scares me. <laughs> I've never actually seen the full set of shoes that he has, but I've heard it's pretty mammoth. The heels are really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know my wife gives me a hard time that I'm taking all the closet space because of my shoes. She's not happy about that. So The thing is, is he likes shoes, but he doesn't like to wear them. So yeah. I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> well, Brad does have this personality that you just are drawn to. Yeah. He is just... I, I can't even explain it. You just want to hang out with Brad. Brad is just a lot of fun. He was the first person I ever knew that had 1,500 followers on Facebook. I used to harass him and say, what in the world do you have going on here where you want you have 1,500 people wanting to be on Facebook with you? I think I had about 15, maybe 20. But uh, people just love Brad. Brad's yep. got a great personality, and he is full of integrity, and he is a kind and uh, and just a good person. He's a leader you want to follow. Well, I'm but surrounded, I'm light surrounded by good up. people. So, <laughs> so right, yeah, I can light people up. Don't f confuse my kindness with weakness, right? <laughs> like you're talking right. about. No, it, it's being surrounded with good people. So, Andrew, what's one area of your life that you have that you have to constantly push yourself to be better at um, each day? Well, I'd say throughout my time with AFT, um, and, and I know, and throughout my daily life, is I like to. Sometimes I tend to overwhelm myself in a way. Um, I'll say yes to everything, and I think I've gotten better at, not that I don't say yes to things, but that I'm better at organizing them, so I'm not trying to pull myself in all these different places. You know, Just for example, yesterday I was supposed to meet framers at a job, and I knew I wasn't going to make it because I had to meet with a client up, in, up north, and I have to lay the framers out. So I'm just trying to you know, get ahead of that, um, not overwhelm myself, not only at work but at home. Um, and it's not really the overwhelming part. It's just, I want to be there and get the stuff done that I need to get done instead of, um, you know, telling one person I can get this done and then, Oh, call them and say, well, you know, I had this other thing going on. Just, it's kind of an organization thing as well, but, um, 
it's something I always work on is, is not trying to say yes all the time. You know, if I don't have the time to do it, I'll, I'll just tell you, hey, you know, this isn't going to work out. I apologize. Um, but that's kind of the thing I'm trying to work on is just not overwhelm myself too much with, you know, saying yes, just, you know, get the stuff that I need to get done, tell them what my schedule is and then get it worked out from there. But, Honesty up front. Huge. So Adam, what do we look for when we're hiring somebody? Well, I think number one is personality, and then number two is work ethic. And I think we've done a great job with the hires over the years uh, just because the personalities blend. They become, per se, a part of the family. Uh, and then the work ethic is I can become a little bit too much of a workaholic. I love coming to work, probably don't use enough of my days off. But what I love about our employees is you don't have people calling in sick all the time. One of the biggest complaints I hear from trades is, oh, my guy's called in sick or, oh, my guy's, you know, this, that, and the other. But I would say rarely, if ever, uh, that our guys call in sick or uh, don't show up to work. So, um, yeah. And, and that's super important. I mean, we, we tell people that it's the personality, as you see here from our team, that, you know, their willingness to get out there and get stuff done and meet with the client and find resolution you know, you can't teach that. We can teach the education. I mean, we'll talk about Andrew's story here in a minute, but, you know, the expertise, you know, we can teach that because we have Adam. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Adam will get you in line. So, Spencer, what piece of advice would you give someone who wants to work for AFT and wants to be more like you? Oh, <laughs> well, I don't think people want to be more like me, but <laughs> I think the uh, probably the biggest thing is just, you know, just come here knowing that you you're going to learn something and then have that uh, desire to learn because there's people you know like us that all have different levels of experience and have gone through different you know levels or different experiences that can help you uh, be better so when I first got here I just remember having some conversations with Trevor you know who was pretty new and just kind of just imparting some of my wisdom and just saying, Hey, these are the things that I've done over the years and make sure you do this. Don't do this. Just, you know, trying to help them so that they don't make the same mistakes that you do or that you have made. And, um, so I think if you come to AFT with that attitude, you'll be successful. That's awesome. And then Spencer, you've been a great example for that sharing your experience. You've had a lot, you know, as we mentioned, pool plan, um, blue beam, a lot of these things that you bring a different perspective that we didn't have, you know, especially, working for a, a very large trade partner for many years. So Paul, you know, how would you honestly describe the culture at AFT and what is the biggest uh, piece of advice you'd give to new hires are going to be part of that culture? I love the culture. It's, it's like Adam said, it's a family. I mean, uh, the advice I'd give somebody that's coming in is that the sooner you put your personality out there and let people know who you are, the more that we're going to love you and it's going to just click. So uh, Brad's created a great place here as far as who he's hired, and I don't know. I can't think of a better team to have. So so now, Andrew, with your side, how has working with AFT made you change anything in your life when it comes to prioritizing and organization? Well, uh, I've definitely become more organized, and, um, you know, not only with work but at home. I mean, when I was living up in Wisconsin – I guess you could say it was a little messier. And I think uh, part of me, not only with AFT, with cleanliness and everything else, but um, my mom is also super clean. And so I think part of her is kind of coming into me at the same, you know, I'm just kind of becoming my mom in that way. So 
Um, as far as organization, I mean, it's night and day, really, since I started with AFT. Um, I was in sales back in Wisconsin. There wasn't a whole lot to be organized with other than my routes and where I would go. Um, but as far as construction, there's so many details. You have to be organized. Um, you have to have your list, your punch list, um, schedules together. And that's been huge. I mean, not only is it good for, for work, but it's also been good in my daily life. You know, I have three kids and, uh, you know, lots of stuff going on, practices, all that good stuff. I can't imagine what it would be like for, for Paul or Brad, but uh, that takes a little more organization. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been great just to, to see that change in myself. And I think it's just kind of something I've always wanted. Um, and you guys just kind of helped me bring it out. So. Well, I think it's funny. I think your dad can't get over it because every time I talk to him, he's <laughs> like, he remembers Andrew as 18 year old, you know, just kind of doing his thing. And he's like, what happened to him? Like now he's, he's like, good dad, good husband. Not that you weren't going to be, but he's like, he's so efficient and organized and detailed. He's like, this is not the same guy's telling him clean up your room, be responsible. You know, he's just so on top of it. And I love that you brought the kid aspect real quick before we get into other questions. We, we have a lot of children between us. So Adam, you have how many? I have five. Andrew? Three girls. Spencer? Four. Paul? Nine. And I have six. Dang. So there's there's a lot of kids here, a lot of heritage coming from AFT. A lot of mouths to feed. A lot of mouths to feed, so we got to stay busy. Spencer, what, what got you into the trades? Did you always have a passion for construction? You know, what was that process? Well, five days after I graduated high school, I moved to West Yellowstone, Montana, to live with my uncle, who was a general contractor. Uh, he did nice custom homes there and some commercial construction. And then when I went to BYU, it was just natural for me to get a job in construction. And so I worked for uh, Michael D. Perry Construction of Springville, Utah. And uh, I was just kind of a, you know, just in the laborer, you know, sweeping floors and just um, got more and more opportunities. And I was working on a townhome project and the superintendent there he didn't really like construction, didn't want to do construction. He actually wanted to be a police officer. And so he gave me a lot of tasks that he should have been doing and just different things. And so one day he just asked me, he's like, well, you know, what do you want to do like in your career? And I just, I was going to school, just doing more general stuff. I didn't really have a, a direction. And he just said, why don't you do construction? He said, you have a knack for it and you'd be good at it. And I just thought, well, I'm, you're probably right because I do enjoy it and then I you know started looking at the project managers and they were driving nice trucks and they were going golfing and I was like okay <laughs> this could be good and so at at that point I had just told um, Mike Perry hey I'm going to uh, do construction management at BYU and as soon as I told him that he made me a superintendent uh, that other guy ended up leaving, and so I just took over the front end of a big townhome project, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I just learned by fire and just seat of my pants, um, you know, and so that's kind of how I got my, my start in construction, and uh, I've always enjoyed the residential side, custom homes, you know, while I was at BYU, I wanted to do uh, custom homes, and so I had you know, interviewed with some, you know, just true custom home builders in, in the Salt Lake area, but ended up coming to Arizona to work uh, for a production builder. And we were doing, you know, more high-end custom production homes. And that's where I got, you know, with Adam and Brad. 
And the rest is history, as they say. So, Paul, who inspires you on IG, you know, that you follow? Wow, there's there's quite a few. Um, Before I came to work for AFT, um, that was one of my favorites. But ECS Homes, Mike with ECS Homes, probably one of my favorites to follow. And there's, uh, for education purposes, I like Matt Reisinger, The Build Show. And then, uh, of course, Builders of Insta and Hammer, they're doing some good good stuff for the industry. There's a lot of good people that inspire us out there. Yeah, there's sure. so many. I, I could keep going. Matt and Mike are good people, and Breck as well. So, Andrew, John Merritt, he asks, has there been anything about Brad or others at AFT that you have tried to emulate? Uh, well, with Brad specifically, he always has so much confidence um, in anything he does. And, you know, I've kind of lacked that confidence you know, especially at the start of, it, of construction, because I didn't know much, right? And I think a lot of that co- confidence emulates from knowledge. So a lot of the knowledge that you retain is a lot easier to show your confidence in your building, specifically with construction. Um, you know, and, and that helps not only with your job in general, but also with clients. I mean, they see that you know what you're talking about. They see, you know, exactly what you're looking at. You know exactly what, what any question they have, you have an answer for. And that kind of, you know, correlates with the confidence that you show. And I think that's a lot of, you know, a lot of the attraction for people towards you is not only are you genuine and very nice, uh, but also your confidence just, you know, Mm. I mean, it makes everybody want to build with you because they they are confident in our brand and also you yourself. Well, I can only be confident because I have you guys behind me, (laughs) the eye candy behind us. So, Adam, how do you train in a way where others understand and can implement what you are communicating? I would believe that the way I train is I, I train out of love and care for the superintendent and a desire to help them be successful. Uh, I don't train in a way where I'm condemning or telling people everything that they've done wrong to make them feel bad, but working to help them be successful. Over the years, it's always felt like, in a lot of ways, a father-son relationship where I'm taking this young superintendent uh, who needs to learn a lot of stuff and I take him under my wing and I want to teach him everything I know so that they can be successful. And I think that's paid off. Andrew, for one, is one that I'm extremely proud of. He came to us as a laborer and uh, wasn't sure of a lot of, uh, lot of things, a lot of terminology, but he worked really hard. And uh, he was teachable, and he listened, and he took notes, and now he's a fantastic superintendent. And I couldn't be more grateful and happy to be a trainer and to help everybody uh, that I can AFT. So, Spencer, how, how can a company better handle change orders? Well, I think change orders can be difficult, you know, for all parties involved. Uh, I think it kind of depends on the nature of the change order. If the change order is something that the owner wants and it's adding value, uh, then there's usually not a lot of problems with a change order, you know, going through the normal process and getting signed by the owner. But if it's um, a change order where we've messed up or we haven't coordinated something and now we're coming to the owner saying, hey, you know, we need to, you know, we have a change order for this because there was a mistake or there's something, there's something. now that, that, you know, added cost to the project, you know, those aren't always well received. So 
I think uh, I think it's just communication. You know, like you know, AFT Adam does a great job on the front end trying to you know make sure that we don't have change orders. Um, so I think that uh, are there ways where we can navigate around that to eliminate change orders? Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could. You know, the funny thing is, I, I think the customers uh, in general don't realize that we don't like change orders as builders. Right. You know, they're, th- sometimes the subs are probably more profitable. We as GCs are not because it costs us a lot more time and money to coordinate. And there's always more issues that arise from change orders and things get lost and miscommunicated. Right. And, and then the client's sometimes frustrated because of the cost. I mean, we're, we'd rather just have everything decided and go. But, yeah. you know, we're a custom builder, so you don't have that luxury every time. Right. We make changes. So, Paul, what makes good company culture? I mean, I think I think we've gone over a lot of this, but uh, having good people, and I think Brad and Adam have done a, and even McCall now have been a part of that, is hiring good people, looking for those personalities that are going to mesh together and work well together. So, Andrew, since you started from ground zero, as we've alluded to, with no construction experience, I was going to tease you and Adam said you start as a labor, and I said that's a pretty generous term <laughs> <laughs> for Andrew. Yeah, no kidding. So now you're a rock star. You know, what's best help you get to where you are today in that mindset, you know? And just, I mean, how long has this been? Uh, well, I started in February of 2015, and I came here um, just for the idea of opportunity and um, thought it'd be fun. I always, I never realized how much I enjoyed working with my hands and figuring things out. Um, I always thought business was going to be my route. It seemed to come easy to me at school, um, but I did always enjoy working on cars, you know, doing kind of that kind of thing. Um, but it's crazy. I mean, when I first started, I think I was wearing like dress pants and uh, a <laughs> long sleeve button up, you know, and, and then I started, I think, taking out studs from, you know, some metal studs at the, at the Chateau project down there. And, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun, you know, just kind of learning. And so what I can say for anybody, if they're in that position is you just got to, you got to take in as much knowledge as possible. And, and Adam and Brad, you've been huge in that. Um, there's no way I'd be here without you guys. I mean, I wouldn't have any of this knowledge at all, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me to think about what I didn't know back then. I mean, Adam would be walking through the punch list and typically I would take notes and I'm just kind of learning along, right. When we're doing walks with the designer and he'd say, Hey, you make sure, you know, this goes in that soffit. And I'm like, what's a soffit? You know, I had no idea. So I've come a long way. Um, I enjoyed the grunt work and I still, you know, get dirty once in a while if I have to, you know, it doesn't bother me. It's kind of fun to, you know, change it up a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a whirlwind of, you know, five years, but, uh, yeah, I can't believe I know now what I know. And I just, I want to continue to, to grow that knowledge because that's where the, like I said before, the confidence builds and you just got to keep going. You got to keep learning. You know, Adam would take me on walks and, and at some point he'd be like, you know, I don't want you to take this, you know, the wrong way. Like, cause he's going pointing out different things, you know, kind of like you guys had to do. And I said, dude, don't, I don't care. Tell me what it is. I want to know. I want to learn from it. And that's what it is. You got to learn from your mistakes and, and just grow every day. Just get better and better. And you don't make the same mistake twice. Just add him about trust heights. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. He's I have on not me made about that mistake. The, he's on me about the, the trust heights. Or, yeah. Or the, the and sir. everyone's done that early. We yeah. haven't had an issue with that. So, Adam, as we've grown as a company, what are the top one or two best practices or processes to help maintain the same level of execution and quality? You know, so as we hire and as we have Spencer and Paul and Andrew out there as an arm of you or me, 
you know, what are some of those systems in place that have allowed them to execute at that level? I would say Builder Trend has been a help in uh, managing the schedule and also being able to do daily logs, uh, being able to also communicate with the homeowners through Builder Trend, being able to have the owners log in and uh, see the updates, see the schedule, and, uh, and also from the office, uh, if we haven't been able to get out to a project, we're able to log into Builder Trend and look at the daily logs, look at the schedule, and then make uh, competent phone calls to the trades or to the superintendent to follow up on the project. And, and Paul, I, I'm going to move this over now. So Kathleen asked us, who is a guest on the podcast, she said, how involved is Brad once the project gets rolling and how much ownership do you take to complete the process, including the client communication? I mean, Brad's, Brad's pretty much handed the project over. I mean, he, he will come in on a, I don't know, weekly or monthly to check on the project, get photographs for IG, and just walk and see what, what he sees and communicate that to us as the project managers or supers. But uh, he kind of pretty much puts it in our, in our hands to communicate with the clients. Of course, we sometimes get into situations where we need his, his knowledge and his expertise to help us out, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm assuming eventually that won't be needed because we're all growing so fast and getting the experience we need. Yes, you are, no doubt. And Spencer, how many projects does each super and project manager handle at a given time? Well, it just depends if it's new construction, uh, new home, or if it's remodels. So if you have several remodels going, you know, you could have two or three or more going of those. But then if we're doing large homes, then you would have one to two of those. Now, Adam, what are you most excited about on your scope of work that's coming up this next year in 2021? I'm just super excited about uh, the new custom homes that have been designed in uh, our hillside lots. Uh, I think they're going to be amazing projects that the owners are going to love and that uh, everyone on Instagram will enjoy seeing. Now, what about you, Spencer? What are you most excited about? Uh, I'm very excited to work on the project that we have in Gilbert that's uh, 25,000 square feet under roof with RV garage, tennis court, trampoline barn. In Lazy River. Yeah, amazing pool, just so many cool features in the home. There's some uh, structural steel and some exposed steel that's going to be fun to help coordinate, and it's going to look awesome when it's done. And, you know, I'm just excited because I'm basically living my dream, you know, like what I said I wanted to do, you know, when I grew up. And so I'm just getting into that, you know, just really excited to just be a part of it. And how long is it going to take you to build this? Am I telling you or am I telling the <laughs> yeah. owner? No, it's about a two-year build. Yeah. Yep. It's a big one. A lot of detail. How many bathrooms? 13. 13 bathrooms. A lot of plumbing fixtures. Yeah, there's just, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of square footage. Uh, you know, there's a basement, a lot of uh, exposed uh, board form concrete, uh, just some really fun details. A lot of glass steel windows. Mm -hmm. So, Paul, what are you most excited about? <coughs> Brad keeps telling us there's a tsunami coming, and then I'm excited about that. But uh, 
Um, I'm really excited about finishing up our Arcadia Lights project, getting to showcase that uh, whole back of the house that opens up autom automatically with automation. Uh, our countertop waterfall with the uh, countertop window that slides off. I'm really excited about showing that, but uh, the, the hillside build I got coming up, that's going to be pretty amazing. And I'm excited about the 32,000 square foot house coming. Yeah, there's a big one with, with some amazing details in it. And what about you, Andrew? Um, well, I'm very excited to get this, uh, my first custom home um, in under my belt. Uh, it'll be finished about the end of January. And uh, then right after that, or kind of in that middle there, um, I'm going to be starting the Net Zero House, which is going to be amazing. Um, it's a self-sustaining home. It'll have, you know, solar panels, all the works, and it's going to be a beautiful house. Not huge, a lot of details. Um, I'm very, very excited to learn more about kind of the construction, um, the construction science part of it, as far as insul insulating ICF. Uh, I've never worked with ICF. I've done some things here and there, but, you know, I'm really excited to learn more about the ICF and, and just grow knowledge more and more. So Andrew's going to be working. He's going to be managing the net zero it's the professional builder, Desert Comfort Experience, the home of the year for 2021. So definitely follow along. We'll have a lot of video content on that, just on some of the construction science and specifics behind the scenes. And as Paul mentioned, our friend Matt Reisinger is going to be coming out. We're going to do a few videos with him. So for the group here, um, two last questions. What is one feature that any custom home should have? Um, I'm going to say a big giant multi-slider in the family room that's huge Automated. yeah you get especially in arizona you bring the outside to the inside you know in the winter it's perfect um and yeah automatic would be great but you know some of the manual ones are fine too but you know the pocketed it's got to be hidden but i would say if i was building a house i would definitely want that big accent piece you know that big multi-slider to kind of combine inside and outside space. yeah a lot of people ask do we ever have a house without a pool and i can't think of any everyone does a pool it's so hot you know you want that pool but the multi-slider is the best part because it gives you that picture frame of the pool and that, you know, beautiful terrain that we have. Exactly. Inside out. Inside out. So, and then G3 asked, who's the best golfer? <laughs> well, oh. I would say Brad. Brad. He's had my <laughs> number. I don't know if I've ever beat you. Have I? Maybe once. I know. Andrew's, Andrew's and I are probably pretty close. We Andrew yeah, choked yeah. once. I did. Yeah. I did. Andrew had a good four putt, though. I did. You, you had me, but then you four putt hit on the whole 18. All I had to do was two putt, three putt to tie, four putt. <laughs> Adam on and Spencer 18. are always battling it out. So. Spencer's had, he's been in Tories for four putt here, there with Adam. So yep. we yep. do have a good time with us five golfing for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, yeah, I would say Brad's got my number more times than I've gotten his, but we've tied a few times. So yeah, it's been fun. And we, we do enjoy the camaraderie. I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, um, you know, to understand a little bit more of what our company is behind the scenes, you know, if we don't have Adam and Andrew, you know, Paul and Spencer, you know, behind the scenes, these are the guys that are making it happen. And, you know, can't express my gratitude enough for what they do, their commitment. You know, they, they want to see the company succeed. They want the projects to succeed, their customer service. I mean, it, there's great peace of mind when you can hand that off and know that they're in better hands doing this than me doing it myself because they're that much better. And, you know, as a, you know, I talk about this a lot on the podcast that as an owner, like you have to have people that are better than you at, and are specialized better than you. And they, they really are. And I'm grateful for them. So thanks guys for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Brian. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, 
They're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.